0: Okay, what I'd like to look at uh, today uh, is uh, something which is kind of a larger question that sits in the back of the whole story of Yitzchak, Esav, Yaakov, Rivka, stolen bracha, etc., which I have not really seen anybody ask. Um, and it is a question that Esav asks and kind of doesn't get answered. Uh, and, and if you think about the entire story of the theft of the bracha, the deception of the bracha, the alternate gifting of the bracha—however you want to call it—with all the PC terms, um, there's something kind of strange about it. Which is, I mean, I don't know about you whether you have this minhag, but we have the minhag in my house where I give brachot Friday night, and I don't run out of brachot, and I don't have my kids fighting, I don't have everybody dressing up to pretend to be Yossi so they can get there first. Right? I mean, kind of a giveaway that he's he hasn't been home for seven years, but. Um, you know, it's a very strange thing. So I want to start off with this pasuk in Mishlei, which maybe will help guide us. And it's a pasuk that is actually used in a uh, in a very strenuous or strained machloket um, that happens also in this week's parashah at the very end of chapter 25, the last verse is where Asav uh, has sold the bchora and so he eats and he drinks and he degrades the bchora. And that's where the Ibn Ezra comes with this famous statement where he says Yitzchak was poor. And he brings arguments that Yitzchak was poor. First of all, that's why Esav said, what do I need a b'chorah for? And uh, that's why when they sent Yaakov away, they sent him with barely anything on his back. And that's why Yitzchak loved Esav, because Esav would feed him. And that's why Yaakov was making food, because there's no servants, etc. The Ramban jumps on the Ibn Ezra with both feet. And takes apart each one of these statements. And the Ramban's position is that the Avot were all royalty; they were nobility; they were wealthy. Uh, Yitzchak uh, is is clearly a wealthy man, from the fact that Avraham is attested to be wealthy, and he and he bequeaths everything to Yitzchak, etc. It's a it's an interesting machloket, considering also the personal lives of the two mafarshim involved. We're not going to get into that, but in the Ramban's a response to the Ibn Ezra, he cites this pasuk. The first part, the part that's highlighted, is the part that he focuses on, which is Hashem's bracha gives you wealth. Now, there's several ways to read this. One of them is to say that if you are wealthy, it's because Hashem blessed you. Okay. Another way to read it is to say that the impact of having the bracha of Hashem is that you'll become wealthy. But perhaps the simplest way to read it is, that's what the bracha is, meaning wealth is the bracha. So when Hashem says to Abraham, "Va varechacha, it means I'm going to make you wealthy. And and that therefore, since Hashem blessed Yitzchak, that means Yitzchak ipso facto is wealthy. And since Hashem's bracha doesn't go away, Yitzchak can never report. And that's that's part, That's part. the big part of his argument. So that's I bring that here because I want you to file that in the back of your minds and within oh, 20 minutes or so, I'm going to see. How that makes how that makes a significant appearance here. Okay. Um, going back to the story of Rivka in Haran and Rivka leaves. When Rivka leaves at age 14 or so, and her family sends her away with her nursemaid, her nursemaid doesn't mean a woman who's nursing her, right? It means a woman who is the hired slave who's going to nurse her babies that she's going to have. And they send them away, they give her a bracha. What's the bracha they give her? so the first one is straightforward it's a bracha of becoming the mother of tens of thousands uh, hundreds of thousands what's the other part of the bracha is your children should conquer the gate meaning the city of their enemies in other words a bracha of power and sovereignty and uh and of course of fertility okay so again file that away as we move ahead now um the first scene we need to look at because these scenes are inextricably tied together you can't unweave them is the scene of the porridge and the b'chora, whatever that is All right and in that scene what happens is um is that um Yaakov, and just as a side note about this, uh, we, we hear that Yitzchak favors Esau because Esau feeds him, keep that in mind, that's going to be critical. Uh, it makes Yitzchak sound sound like he's some sort of old gluttonous man who uh, whose son brings him his favorite food and that's why he likes him, and that's why he favors him over the far more virtuous Yaakov, it's obviously much more than that. Uh, and now, when you get to Pasuk Chavtet, here's the story. Ya, Ya'akov, naziv, Yaakov is cooking porridge, cooking lentil soup, and Asav comes from the field, and he's hungry. Now, um, the word ayef in Tanakh means tired and hungry, so that's why I'm translating it that way. Why is Yaakov cooking? So, it, it sounds like, well, why wouldn't he be cooking? And the answer is very simple. If we're talking about a wealthy family, which according to the Ramban, then a slave should be cooking and if not then we would assume that rivka would be cooking why is yakul cooking isn't
1: that the so, uh, it was avram's uh shiva no, or something? No?
0: so there's all sorts of midrashic takes on that and that's why lentils and they're round and available correct but simple shot why is he cooking and it seems that even though um i i'm, I'm gonna mute you guys because there's some background noise or so if you can mute yourself um it it seems that even though uh, Yaakov was a shepherd, Yoshev Orel, and Esav is a hunter, that even though the prophecy was that they would be separate and struggle against each other, at this point in their life they're actually partners. And they've gone out, and Yaakov has gone herding, and Esav has gone hunting, and he's had an unsuccessful day at the hunt, and he comes into the tent that Yaakov has set up, and Yaakov is making food, because Yaakov is the guy in the tent who, who watches the sheep, and so Aesop says to him, give me some of that red stuff, or better yet, give me some of that red stuff, And because uh, I'm hungry, and that, that's the little note, that that's why he's called Edom, the Edomite nation. Okay, what does Jacob do? Yaakov says, I will give you the porridge, the, the soup, if you agree to sell the bachorah. The Red radak here, I think, is pshat, he says the price of the bachorah was not soup. The price of the bachorah was a the price they would arrive at later, but the, the willingness to sell the Bechorah, that's what the soup was for. Meaning, selling it, but now, well, how can you sell the Bechorah? I cannot come up to my parents, may they rest in peace, and say to them, I am now the oldest child in the family. I happen to be the baby in the family. I, you can't change birth order. So what is it that 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 Yaakov wants to buy from Esav? So clearly, he wants to buy some future rights. I know they're future rights because Esav Says I have no use for the b'chorah because I'm going to die. Whatever that may mean, I have a dangerous profession. I'm so hungry. Whatever it is, which means in the future there's nothing for me. To, no advantage to me having this b'chorah. So, um, what? But what is this b'chorah? And so the simplest explanation would be the right to inherit more than the other brother, because the Torah law is b'chor inherits double portion. Right, So somehow they think, or maybe at this time it's possible, to actually swap that and say, I'm going to pay you money now, like futures, and you're going to sell me the rights to the double inheritance. However, before the time of the Torah, the B'chor did not inherit double. Before the time of the Torah, the B'chor inherited everything. All right? So we have to keep in mind, what is it that's going on here? Now, we now... And, and, of course, the question is, what, what's Yaakov angling for here? <clears throat> we move on to the, the, the critical story, which is Chapter 27. The whole story takes place in Chapter 27. Yitzchak is old. He thinks he's going to die because he's going blind. So he calls Esav, and he says to him the following, "Lo yadati yom moti. I don't know when I'm going to die. Go take your bow and arrow, go out and shoot me some game. And prepare it the way I like, so that I will bless you before I die. Now this is a very strange statement, because if Ya if Yitzchak thinks he's going to die, we expect to see like Yaakov, with whoever children he has that are in the fold, standing around his death his deathbed and giving them ethical advice, uh, last will testament uh conferring things upon them in the family. And if he's just giving a bracha, why can't he give a bracha to both kids? Because why at this point does he not turn to Rivka and say, Rivka, go tell Yaakov, your favorite boy, to go prepare some soup for me or I don't know what, and I'll and I'll give him bracha too. And the entire scene is about tussling over a single bracha that to quote Esav and the title of the shir, Habracha you only have one bracha. But that seems to be the reality. So now as we move further into the story, Rivka now tells Yaakov in source four, Rivka tells Yaakov, go to the flock and get me two goats and I'll prepare them the way your father likes, and you'll bring it to your father and he'll bless you. Now at this point in time, reading the story, not knowing anything later, which is the way you have to read the story, you read the story and let it occupy you just in present time. Rivka tells Yaakov, go bring food and I'll prepare it. And you bring it to Father, and He'll bless you. And at that point, it sounds like Rivka is saying, Today is Bracha day. Bring Father food, got a Bracha. Aesav's going, You go too. Watch what Yaakov says in Pasuk Yer Aleph <speaking in Hebrew> Yaakov says, My brother is hairy, and I am smooth of skin. <speaking in Hebrew> Maybe father will embrace me and I will then look like a trickster. Maybe Tia like lo bracha, and I'll end up bringing a curse instead of a blessing on myself. What does he mean? In other words, why isn't it the case that he can come to father and say, Hi, I'm Yaakov. I brought some food too. I want a bracha too. In other words, what Yaakov assumes here is that if he's going to bring food, that he's going to have to pretend to be Asav and he's afraid he's going to get caught. By the way, notice, Yaakov does not seem to have ethical qualms about lying to his father. He has utilitarian problems, which is, I might get caught. But that's a whole different shear that goes in with Yaakov's reaction to Shimon, Levi, and Shechem, etc. What does Rivka say? Rivka concurs. She doesn't say, no, oh, no, you got it wrong. You're not supposed to pretend to be somebody else. She, does, she concurs. She says, yes, you might get cursed, but if you get cursed, I'll take it on myself. Right, So, the curse is on me, but, all right, and whatever that may mean, and there's big, big discussion about that. Okay, so now, Yaakov gets the goats, Rivka prepares them, Um, um, Yaakov, um, uh, Rivka puts the garments on Yaakov, Yaakov is about to approach Yitzchak, and Jason wants to approach the question, go ahead.
1: Is the Shema Bikoli, uh have anything to do with like the fact that that phrase is used a lot?
0: Shema Bikoli just means obey me.
1: That's I know, but it. I'm saying that specific use of that terminology, you see that a lot coming up in Devarium where you keep saying, shh, shh, you know, listen to my voice, listen to my voice. Is there anything where
0: where else do you see it?
1: No, not in this story. You see it later I know. on. In, in where, where
0: else do you see it? It's not that. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll yeah. come up
1: with it. Okay, good. Now, but that's
0: so now... Yaakov comes to Yitzchak pretending to be Esav and he says I am Esav and Yitzchak is blind so Yitzchak somehow is confused, doubtful, according to somebody shown him he even is in on it he knows it's Yaakov and he says come close and give me a kiss, embrace me this pasuk is strange because it, it It seems to be out of order. The smell of my son is like the smell of the field. Okay. And then what does he say? And this is the culmination. This is the bracha that evidently is a soul bracha. S-O-L-E, besides S-O-U-L. And that is the one bracha that either Yaakov or Esav is going to get. Yitzchak wants Esav to get it. And Yaakov has gone quickly and gotten the goats, and Rivka's prepared them, and they're all in on the scheme that Yaakov should get it instead. Not along with, but instead. And there's one bracha. Okay, now when you are in the book of Breshit and you talk bracha, what immediately comes to mind? Two things, which are the land of Canaan and lots of kids. That is the bracha that Hashem gives Abraham several times. That is the bracha that Hashem gives to Yitzchak following Abraham. It's the bracha that Hashem gives to Yaakov at Betel. It is the bracha of Breshit. We're going to call it Birkat Avraham because that's where it starts. The land of Canaan to your many, many descendants, lots of kids and the land, Zerah and Eretz. What's the bracha here? God should give you from the dew of heaven, the fat of the land, lots of bread and wine. These are material blessings that could be had anywhere. There's nothing about kids. There's nothing about land. Except the produce of the land. And then a real surprise. Nations should serve you. And that should remind us of the bracha that Rivka got, that she evidently didn't share with Yitzchak, which is, One nation will struggle with another. Nations will bow to you. You will be a lord over your brothers, which evidently means your brother and maybe other family members and the sons of your mother will bow to you, which means you're going to be the Lord in the family. arum Anybody who curses you is cursed, and we bless you is blessed, that's a nice little chatima. So what is this bracha? So this bracha very clearly is a bracha of power. It's a bracha of lordship. As a bracha of wealth and prosperity, it is not the bracha of Abraham. Now notice, that this is the bracha that Yitzchak intended to give to Esau now this is the scene that we're picking up on Esau immediately comes in it's one of these exit right exit left exit left enter right sorry Yaakov leaves and as he leaves Esau comes in with his food and he comes to Yitzchak and Yitzchak freaks out he starts shaking and trembling and he says oh my gosh Somebody came and took your bracha, and then he utters this strange phrase. So let's, let's, uh, let's take a look at it. He says, Gam the fellow who came and took your blessing is blessed. Now, by the way, that's another conundrum. How can a bracha, whether it's the only bracha or part of a group of brachot, how can a bracha that is given under false pretenses work? How can it hold? Some guy sneaks into my house, and pretends to be one of my kids, and dresses up like the kids, and it's dark, the orchard's gone out, and I give him a bracha. Does it mean anything? Of course not. Why is this bracha meaningful? Now what Esau's reaction here is, when Yitzchak realizes it's Ya'akov who's come, Ba'achicha your brother came deceptively and took your bracha. And Esau, being a brilliant linguist, says that's why his name is Ya'akov, He has ambushed me twice, because that's what the word Yaakov means also, besides heal. And he says, first of all, he took my Bechorah, and now he took my Bracha. And then he turns to his father and says, You owe me a Bracha, you have to give me a Bracha. So Yitzchak turns around and says, I can't, he's your boss. And what does Esav say back? Havaracha, lecha avi. You only have one bracha. Barcheni gamani avi, and he's like a kid pouting. Give me a bracha too. And finally, what does Yitzchak do? He gives him a back kind of bracha. He says, "Okay, you'll also have land. You'll also have food. You'll also have stuff. But you're going to live by the sword. And if your brother messes up, you could take over." But it's a, such a left-handed bracha. So what is going on here? What is going on with this bracha? And the the last. The very end of the Pasha is this, and it's gonna we're gonna sew it all up together very quickly. Yitzhak wants to kill Yaakov. Rivka overhears it, and Rivka says to Yaakov, get out of town. Go to Lavan and hide there, and I'll call you back. Whatever Rivka's really intent, real intentions are is something else. She can't tell Yitzhak Yaakov Esau's gonna kill Yaakov. So she tells Yitzhak instead my daughters-in-law are making me sick, if, if Yaakov marries a girl like this, I'm going to put my head in the oven. And so Yitzchak summons Yaakov and sends him to Lavan to marry one of Lavan's daughters, or two. And, uh, and the idea is to do the same thing that he sort of did, take a wife from the family from Haran. What does Yitzchak say to Yaakov when he knows it's Yaakov and he gives him a bracha? The El Shaddai v'Rechel t'chav y'afrachav le l'kalamim, big nation. God should give you the bracha of Abraham, which is to inherit this land. Which means the following When Yitzchak knows it's Yaakov, he passes on to When he thought it was Asaph, he gave him something else. What was that something else? And I think the answer is actually fairly straightforward. The word bracha can mean a lot of different things, it doesn't necessarily follow a formula and necessarily have one kind of intent. The bracha that Yitzchak wants to give Esav before he dies is to establish him and install him as in charge of the, of the estate. Why does Yitzchak favor Esav? Because Yitzchak is looking to the future and saying, one day I'm going to die and somebody has to take over. And the person that takes over has to be the person best suited to take over. I've got a son who is a farmer and a hunter which means if there's rain, we have crops, and if there isn't, we have food. And so that's why he wants Esau to take over. He never intended Esau to be the one who would carry on the tradition of Abraham. That's Yaakov all the way, no question. But he intended Esau to be the guy in charge of the estate. So what does he do before he when he thinks he's about to die? He says, Esau, go bring me food, we'll have a little ceremony, and I'll install you as in charge of the estate. Rivka understands that because Rivka understands that in order for this family to succeed, they can't have bifurcated leadership. It's got to all be in the hands of Yaakov. So what does Yaakov do? Yaakov tricks father with Rivka's help. So father gives the bracha of power, installs Yaakov as in charge of the family. Why does it work? It works for a very simple reason. Until now Yitzchak thought that Esau was more fit to lead the family because he is the more resourceful person. What does Yitzchak realize when Esau comes in and says, my brother took my bracha? Yitzchak concurs that Yaakov is the more resourceful person. That Yaakov uses his strengths. His strengths may not be sharpshooting and his strengths may not be brawn, his strengths are brains. But he knows how to use his strengths to get what he needs to get. This does not justify what Yaakov did. I'm not getting into that problem, but on practical level, Yitzchak realizes that Yaakov is more fit to lead the family because look at how successfully he just got his way in. And as a a result of that, he says, "Gombaruch, yeah, he's got the bracha." You know what your position is? Your position is second in command. You now are obasent to him. Which is, by the way, why when, Yitzha, when Yaakov comes back from Haran, Esau bugs out, he leaves the country. If brother messes up, then you can take over, which Chazal read as being the history of Yehuda and Edom and then later the history of Judaism and Christianity. That's in the Midrashim. So when we look back at it, we realize that's why Yaakov wanted to get the Bechorah. Getting the Bechorah means that I will be the one to take over for the family. And he already proved his ability to do that by exploiting Asaph's hunger and Asaph's sort of impetuosity to get it from him then. But nobody told Yitzchak, so he had to do it again. And now he proved his resourcefulness, which throughout his life is what he depends on to get him through the hard times. And that's why Yitzchak gives him the bracha. And when Asaph says, you only have one bracha, the answer is yes, because this is not a well-wishing bracha. This is not a bracha of of success and harmony and wealth. It's a bracha of singular control over the estate. And that ends up in the hands of Yaakov. And now, hopefully, we understand the whole story a lot better.
1: Uh, I have two questions. Fire away. Uh, in source number five, one uh, says, Beni uh, Who? Uh, Yaakov is saying that to whom? I mean, it looks like the Yaakov, the Yitzchak, and um, and um, Yitzchak and Yaakov are are together, right?
0: Right. Only and Yaakov. Right.
1: Huh?
0: Right. Yitzchak and Yaakov. And by the way, that's clearly an ironic word, Re' coming from a blind man. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, that,
1: no, that's... But he say, but he obviously he's saying it to someone. Look. Right. I I understand that it's really a a charade, but I've now convinced myself it's okay because he smells. I have an excuse why I gave it to him.
0: It could be. It could be. They say that. By the way, the Rishonim are all quite divided on whether or not Yitzchak was aware of this, or whether he was in doubt and not sure, or whether the whole time he thought it was A7 he was confused. Almost every possible opinion is out there uh,
1: among the Rishonim. Okay, and sixth, you have the words twice. And why would the Torah say that twice? You have it in the first Pesach there, and then in
0: You mean why sub says it twice? Yeah.
1: Because like what, Why does the Torah record it twice?
0: Right, so in the beginning, he says, give me a bracha, I also should get a bracha, and then Yitzchak expresses the notion that I've already installed Yaakov in that place, he says, okay, at least give me something. It's like a fallback. And, and the answer is, okay, you got a fallback, but the fallback isn't much of a bracha. It's more of a mishaber, as we call it.
2: Can I jump in? Sure, please. Yeah, so uh, maybe I'm a little confused because uh, the story refers to both the birthright and blessings.
0: Right, the birthright is so, in chapter 25, and the blessings
2: in chapter 26. So how would you differentiate between the birthright and the blessings?
0: The birthright is the, the position, meaning Aesop is born first, and therefore Aesop sort of automatically is the one who's going to control the estate, unless he blows it. He hasn't blown it. He's actually performed perfectly for that job throughout his life. Yaakov, at a fairly early age, wants to get that right away, and so therefore he negotiates and takes advantage of Aesop's hunger and gets it which means technically he has Ke'ilu Adid, uh, whatever, some form of proof that he's, the, he's got the rights of the Behor, but he can't show that to Yitzchak. Yitzchak's not clued in on that story. Just like Rivka clearly never told Yitzchak about her prophecy and that the older will serve the younger. Right? That right, was, but... She, but didn't, she didn't.
2: But now, then look, it... it does, does that not beg the question? Because it's one thing to, you know, uh, to dispute... Who has the birthright? It's another thing for Yitzhak to give both of his sons a blessing.
0: Right. So he gives he gives both of his sons a blessing because the blessing he was going to give esav the whole time was the one we saw there, which was power over the family. They state the
2: bracha, which is tantamount to, give... tantamount to the birthright, correct?
0: Yes. Yes. Okay. And then he was going to give Yaakov the bracha of you are the ones going to carry on the Abrahamic tradition. You're going to inherit the land, you're going to have lots of kids. That's the whole bracha, of what happens is that Yaakov, unbeknownst to Yitzhak, has gotten technically gotten the rights over the Bukhorah. I think the way we have to read it is Yaakov never could have gone as far as he did in chapter 27 if it weren't for chapter 25. Meaning if he mm-hmm. didn't already have the legal right to the Bukhara, he couldn't have gone ahead and done that masquerade. Now, by the way, this is something that Yitzhak now learns. Who does he learn it from? He learns it from Esau. Because when Aesov comes in and complains. Then he says, that's why his name is Yaakov, he's ambushed me twice, first he took the Bechorah, and now if you're Yitzchak, you're hearing that, and suddenly, as we say in, in, in Hebrew, asimon no nofel, how do you say that in English? The, the, the penny drops, suddenly everything becomes clear. In other words, here's Yitzchak, and he's maybe confused, saying, how is it that Yaakov had the temerity to come in, pretend to be Esav and get the Bracha, mapitom, and then when Esav He's the one, who may he's just talking inadvertently and says, yeah, Yaakov, he stole my Bechorah, now he told the, suddenly Yitzhak's saying, oh, now I get it. The whole time, Yaakov's been the one who should have been getting this.
2: Because he... So is, does, does Yitzhak ever give a blessing to either one that mirrors the blessing that uh, Levon and um, uh, Rivka's mother gave to Rivka? You know you'll be numerous and they'll be, and you will uh, you know be at the gates of your foes. Yeah, you know? that's the same bracha
0: that's that's that wrong. Baby, Aesav, Yeah. that I mean he thought it was Asov, the Tiako. It's a brach of power and of and of subjecting Your fellows to you being in control Yeah, hmm. different words, but same, same idea. That's why I put it in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Is that
2: why is that why um,
1: he's deceived by love on kind of karma?
0: Oh, the Midrashim, go to town on this. I'll tell you one Midrash that is just like, but in a sense, it's almost Peshtosh Mikra When, when uh, Yaakov uh, marries Rachel, it turns out to be Leah. The next morning, he comes to Lavan and says, what you did you do? I worked for Rachel. And Lavan says, in the text, says, Lo ye'asechein bimekomenu latetat tzirah fina b'chirah. In our place, we don't do this, putting the younger before the older. And there's a clear shot there where he's saying, and whether Lavan said it or whether the text is saying it, but there's a clear shot of Yaakov saying, maybe where you are, you guys give brachot to the younger in place of the older, and you cheat, and you lie. We do everything straight, first the older girl, then the younger girl. But the Midrash is even more powerful. The Midrash, Rishit here says that when Yaakov woke up that morning and he saw Leah, he comes to, he says to Leah, how could you do that? All night I was cooing, Rachel, Rachel, and you were answering yes, yes. How could you lie to me? She says, big shot. And the whole time your father was saying, Asav, A7, you were saying, yes, yes. It's like, really? It. Who right? are you to
1: question that? Exactly.
0: But and, and it's also the karma bit. It's coming back. And by the way, so much of Brashit is about that, especially in the Yaakov and the Yosef cycles, is about what goes around comes around. And um, a lot of it starts right here with this story of deception and of garments. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the brothers then bring the father Yosef's garment to make him think he's dead. Right. And and uh, Tamar dresses up to, to make Yehuda think she's somebody else. It's a constant theme. It starts right here. It's good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you guys before we do you want to have shear next week? It's Thanksgiving. We traditionally don't have shear. But again, I don't know. I'm not going away this year. so I'll be
1: in the road. I can call in. So actually, I'm fine with it.
0: All right. So uh, I'll have Anna put out an email feeler, and you'll you know see how many people want to come. But I'd be happy to share.
1: You, yeah. you were going to connect this to the uh, uh, campaign stuff when we talked about this.
0: Event. Yeah, I was, and then I decided not to. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you why, because I heard, I'll tell you honestly, I heard from several students and family members about different teachers, who were sharing their political opinions a, a, a little before and during and in the extended during the election. And I realized it's just really a bad idea. It's really a bad idea. I Well, think... I don't
1: mean an opinion. Like for example, there just seems there's so much dialogue that puts the, the integrity of the, of, the, of the role into play now. that never really existed before. And so therefore, like if you're religious and you look to the Bible, To give you guidance, you say, well, how much do I weigh the moral integrity versus policies, if you
0: will? I'll tell you an interesting feedback that I got from last week's year. Last week's year was about where the Avot lived, right? Ber'shev and Hebron. And what I presented was that that their choice to live where they lived was based on where they were in their family. Were they raising kids at the time, in which case you want to get out of town? Or were they interacting with peers, in which case you want to be in the middle of things? And somebody else wrote to me and said... um, well, okay, maybe that's the case, but how good of a job did they actually do? And oh, it's, part of with broader, bad job. it's part of the broader critique of the Avot as parents, which is, by the way, a critique that doesn't stop with the Avot. It continues through Tanakh. And really, the, the only person we seem to find in Tanakh who is successful as a leader and a parent is Aharon, and there's 50%, maybe, or maybe 100%. Right. Right. Moshe's grandson is a coin of Avotazara. Eli's sons are despicable. Shmuel's sons are taking bribes. You know, it's very hard to be both a great public leader and, and be a great father. That's one of the most amazing things about Rob Lichtenstein. He raised six amazing kids. You know?
1: Well that doesn't that doesn't mean your model is not to be a, a good father. It just means it's tough. Well,
0: I understand. I understand. So I, I still think it was a good um uh, is, is, a, is a good uh, lesson about you know where to live even though may, there might be other things so okay Dovi asked the uh, question um, um, so what, what do you mean how does it relate to Efrain and Asher oh in terms of uh, whether it's appropriate for, for a younger child to usurp the place of the, of the older child Oh, so that's a constant theme in It starts with Kain and Hevel, right? Starts with Kain and Hevel. And, and, and uh, the fact that the seum of Sefer Bereshit sort of is, and puts them together, besides the precedence of Ephraim and but putting them kind of together <coughs> is itself kind of an, uh, a, a healing of a lot of the terrible things that happen in Bereshit. Kain and Havel, Yitzhak Ishmael, Yosef <laughs> and Ruvain. Every generation you find this problem. You even find it with Aaron er and Onan flubbing up, you know, in, in their marriage. I mean, it's like the, the Bahor seems to be a real rotten guy throughout. Right. Right. Anyhow. All right. We're gonna call it. I uh, will <laughs> we'll assume next week. Um, but I'll and will put out a thing on you know, on, on on Monday with uh, the, with the uh, invitation, we'll, and we'll put out a special request that people respond. Good. Yeah. Okay, Kurt, you asked. <laughs> uh, good. Oh, Kurt, you asked a question here, which was, "Isn't this the same bracha that the that Avram got at the Akedah?" That's the classic bracha of of um, of of kids and the land, and it's just raised to a, a divine oath. That's kind of like the 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 improvement, shall we say, at the Akedah. Okay. Great. Okay. I'll see you guys. Everybody, okay. stay safe and healthy.